And it takes, it does take practice. I know that there are other people who don't, who aren't as confident as you may be. You're very confident, but it comes and, and like you say, Ren, like even those late nights where you're exhausted and you're thinking, I'd really like to just spend the day tomorrow cleaning my house and then drinking tea and reading a book or relaxing. The point is, is that, you know, you can, what, what makes you do it is because you know what's going, what's happening to those animals and that you're the only person there. So, so when, when I meet people who are like, I can't do it, I'm too shy, I'm too scared, I'm like, yes, you can, you know, you, if you don't do it, who will, you know, find something within yourself. If not you, who, who is? Who's going to speak for the animals? Exactly. Like, you and I, uh, you know, we think we've got problems. We're not the ones in the slaughterhouse lining up in a queue, to, you know, the the sounds and the smells of the slaughterhouse. We're, we're not in that situation. We're not in a cage. We're, you know, we've got a great life. We think we've got problems. We don't. Honestly, we can't make excuses. I agree, and um, and that's and that, and it can give you that courage and strength that that you need to overcome your own your own limitations, really. And um, and I also say to people, listen, if you're not comfortable doing um, necessarily sitting up on your city street, do something that you're comfortable with, but always do vegan advocacy. You can do it online. Um, Emmy James has made cup cupcake, you know, cupcake recipes and, and, and a little thing that you can put in people's mailboxes and give them the information that way. Yep, that's something that shy people can do is letterbox drops. <laughs> exactly. So um, you yeah. can uh, you can host potluck lunches and picnics. Um, uh, online activism is just wonderful. So long as you're doing the right kind of activism, if you're posting pet- petitions and welfare campaigns and single issue campaigns, I mean, you're just chasing your tail. You're not going to get anywhere. No animals are going to be saved. If you're doing, when we say vegan advocacy, what does that mean? What does vegan education mean? You know, we have to know what does that mean? It's, it's encouraging veganism and what anything less than veganism is just more violence. So just in, encouraging people to just cut back or, um, you know, just once a week. What does that mean? You know, uh, this meat-free Monday thing. So, you know, I wouldn't support meat-free Monday any more than I would support child abuse-free Friday or something. It's exactly. just silly. It's also very um, speciesist because we would never not, – not, not only would you and I not support Child Abuse Free Friday, neither would anybody else, including all the people who promote Meat Free Monday. So I just – I challenge that. I say um, uh, if this was – if you were an advocate for children, would you be going out and advocating for Child Abuse Free? Just cut down on the amount of times you beat your child. <laughs> It sounds outrageous. So why are we outraged when it comes to children, but we're not when it comes to non-human animals? That's, as you said, it really is speciesist. Yes, I know. And I'm sorry to, you know, to, to, to sort of, it's the truth. It's the truth. And It is the truth. Because, I mean, anytime we have a moral question, I play the game Switch the Species. So I'll try two things and I'll I'll. It depends on what would be more appropriate for that individual because sometimes, I mean, if you use a rape analogy or a murder analogy, it's too much, it's too confronting, it's, 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 and people just close off and put up a wall and they can't relate. So, I'll, you know, I'll choose my analogy carefully, um, but I will re- I'll replace the, the being in question, just say the, the, the pig in a, a pen or something, with either a human or a family pet. So um, many times when I'm on my street stall, I go into detail. I mean, I often use the dairy cow or the egg-laying hen um, as an example, and I will tell that person 
whoever's willing. Obviously, we're already in an engaged conversation where the, the person is a willing listener, and I'll tell them what happens to a dairy cow. Um, and before I go into great detail, I might give them a little taster, and I'll, I'll say, um, you know, we would never burn a dog. In fact, you'd probably get in trouble if you were burning a dog. Um, we would never, ever think about burning a dog. Yet, dairy cows, as a standard practice, are burn-branded, burn-branded, with no pain relief and just hot iron on the skin, just like that. And then people get thinking, it's like, yeah, well, no, yeah, we'd, we'd never burn a dog, but wow, yeah, it's true. Like, And we know that this is standard practice, but nobody thinks about it. Um, you know, I'll say, you know, these dairy cows, they have their horns cut off. That would be like having a finger cut off. It's, you know, it's so violent. And so I try and explain there is so much violence involved in dairy production. Um, many dairy cows get osteoporosis at the tender age of five. That's the age when adults. Why have they got osteoporosis? Because they're producing colossal amounts of milk, 10 times the natural amount of milk than they're supposed to for one calf. All that calcium is going into the milk production and they get weak bones and some of a certain percentage of dairy cows can't even stand up. They're just so weak. And, um, and you know, a cow might live to 27 and their life's over at age five or six when at the age they become adults. So they're during their adolescence, they're perpetually impregnated, one pregnancy after the other, milked during pregnancy. And the biggest heartache of all is that their baby is taken from birth. So I'll talk about the detail of the dairy cow, um, you know, that, that she's artificially inseminated against her will and she does end up being slaughtered. She's not milked during that truck ride. Many of them are still pregnant at the time of slaughter. I'll go into the detail of that. And that's really awful But because I want those people to see, wow, this is violent. This is, that's just wrong, you know. Um, and people are shocked by that story, and I try and get as much as I can into one minute, <laughs> you know, the life of a dairy cow in one minute. And then I'll pull out and I'll get go back to animal rights theory and ethics, and then I'll, I, you know, because I don't want to get too bogged down in the detail Treat, of, you know, treatment. Pro- tri- but you do have to go there. You have, Otherwise, people just won't know. They don't know that these things happen to dairy cows. So I'll pull back and I'll just say the problem is that animals are property. What does that mean? They're, they're living property. It's It's... You know, in a human analogy, that's slavery. And, it, you, you know, no matter how n- nicely you treat your slave, a happy slave is still a slave. And, and being, I don't think it's right to be owned by someone. Yeah, and I find that um, people haven't thought about it that way. And it's, it's sort of, it's, um, I do capitalize on the fact that we used to enslave human beings. Um, I capitalize on it um, because it's a fact it really did happen. It still happens, but it really did legally happen. At least it's, it's it, yeah, at least now, although we, we still do have human slavery, it's recognized as morally long legally and it's socially unacceptable. Yeah, so, so you can use that analogy. More, pe- people, people who are misguided and people who aren't familiar with the theory think that you can't, you can't have a conversation like this with people and they're wrong. You know, you can have conversations about property, the property status of animals with people and they get it. And I say to them, you know, your cat, your cat or your dog, if you want to, you could take him or her to the vet tomorrow and have her killed. That's true. Yep. Legally with no, you don't even need a reason. No, no repercussions. And if the vet doesn't, you know, if the vet is, is, is going to do it, they'll do it. If they, if they decide to try to convince you out of it or they might say, no, I'll adopt her because people do have more empathy for cats and dogs. But the bottom line is that's what it means to be a piece of property. And, and, and 
And I want to just, and thank you for saying that because like a lot of the time people, because we don't stress, because we don't campaign about treatment, people think that we ignore treatment. And when we're talking to people, we don't oh, talk no, no, about no. that. Yeah. No, not true at all. You learn what vegan advocacy is. I'm actually going to do um, another podcast where I'm going to give my, Ren, I, I, I've heard rumors that you may be doing a podcast. Now, I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but I think I would think it would be a wonderful thing because I think you have so much to share. I do. I'm busting. I have so much to share. <laughs> yeah. Get it out. Get it out. You know? oh, I would absolutely love to. What I'm hoping to do uh, um, is um, a weekly um, radio broadcasted animal rights show um, in my local town and then I would like to double up and um, take the ads out, you know, because you have to put ads, you have to report the weather and <laughs> stuff like that um, in between in that hour. So I'd like to take, uh, make it into a podcast so that it can be listenable online as well as the live broadcasted show. So that's what I'm hoping to do. But I know that, oh my gosh, I know that it's going to take so much work. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it will keep me consistent. And also I know I'm going to love it. I'm just going to love it. And I'm a little bit nervous about uh, broadcasting vegan advocacy because who's listening? You know, it could be anyone. It's a it's a local, um, you know, your community radio station, and they want content. Like they're actually desperate for volunteers and and actual real content instead of just grabbing things that have already been produced by other radio shows. They they want um, fresh new content, so they're really happy to have new people. And I um, yeah told them what I wanted to do, and they oh, they say yeah we'll have you. Great. <laughs> um, but I know that it will take a bit of work to prepare and make sure you've got your facts right and um, well that sort of thing. Doing it once a week. I mean Sam Tucker from New Zealand did that exact thing. He did a weekly broadcast and he made a podcast of it, and it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and uh, maybe I could do one a fortnight. Maybe once a week is too much. I'm not sure, um, but I, I'll have to, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's going to be great because I do. I think you have a really a lot to share, and um, you've had a lot of experience, and most of your, um, you know, you've you've been doing this um, abolition advocacy for a lot. Um, you just have a lot, a lot of insight, and um, I'm really, I think that you've said some things today that I've found really really inspiring and insightful and you know we, we we need more of this you know we um uh but you can't you know you can't stretch yourself too thin I mean you have to that's right and um you're right we really do need more of this and something else that I want more than anything besides new vegans in the world is more vegan advocates and I want to see one of these street tables in every town I want to see one in every market. So please, if you're out there listening, if you've been thinking about doing vegan education, oh, come and talk to us because we want you. We need you. Uh, the animals need you. And, we, you know, this is going to create, not create, it's already happening, advance the animal rights movement, the, the vegan movement. So let's get it happening. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if it doesn't take a lot, and like we, we like we've said, you you can do it with a little tiny fold up table and and a cardboard sign. And if you can't if you can't make cupcakes, just talk to people. It's um it's so rewarding, and um and and also I do feel like um things are going to start to take off, and um there will be it will be it won't just be there will be more sort of practical empirical support, like more hands on deck as, as you would say, um, in the yes. future. I really do. I really do think it will, but it will yeah. never happen. It'll never happen if, if, if that one person doesn't just get out there and just start doing it and showing people around yeah. them. If you want it, if you want abolition, 
you have to work for it. This is labor intensive. It takes a lot of work. It takes thousands of conversations. And we have to, we have to get to work. We can't sit around talking about it. We can't, I mean, okay. Yes, we need to educate ourselves on animal rights theory, but we can't just do that. We can't just talk and debate amongst ourselves and, and, and post things on the internet to our other friends. We have to push ourselves out there. And I know, it's, you know, you've got to stick your neck out and you're taking risks and um, there might be some setbacks, but, but the rewards, are, you know, make it all worth it. There are huge rewards in doing this and that's creating a vegan world. Exactly, exactly. Oh, one more thing I wanted to add about the street stall. I've introduced something new. Anytime something new comes to my table, even something like a new poster, I get quite excited about it. I go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm changing, you know, it's getting better and better. Um, something I've introduced that's new, that is successful and I really love it, is um, I'm serving um, samples of, it's called veggie roast made by sanitarium. And it tastes just like roast chicken, um, but it's made, but it's based on soy products. It's really delicious. Um, I mean, some people aren't into that kind of thing, sure. And you know, if you're not into that, then you can eat beans and rice and tofu and and all that. But um, it can be a good transition for food for people who love the taste of meat. Um, and I, I've been vegan for 15 years, and it's been so long. I don't care anymore. It's like, yeah, I'll eat the soy sausages and I'll eat the soy fake bacon. I'll eat. I'll eat anything. Um, so I don't care about that anymore. Um, so I have the, just a little dish of – I slice them up because it comes in this like a giant sausage. Um, and I slice it up and fry it on the frying pan to make it crispy. And Or you can roast it in the oven, but I find frying it, it just makes it perfect. And, and so I'm frying that while I'm doing other things. So I might be icing cupcakes and this is sort of simmering on the frying pan. And then I wait for it to cool. I put it in a, a little container in the fridge ready to go the next day. And it's a big hit. Actually, all of it goes. Um, it's, it all gets gobbled up. Um, and so I cut them into sort of like finger slice sizes. And so I'm, I'm chatting to people and people sort of say, oh, what are you eating? And when people say, oh, what do you eat then? And Because I just imagine that you're eating like steamed vegetables or something or a sprinkling of lettuce. <laughs> I say, I, I tell them straight. I say, I eat the same kind of things that everybody else does. I love pa pasta and pizza. Um, stir fries and um, I just use the alternatives instead of uh, cow's milk ice cream I eat soy ice cream or gelati or rice milk ice cream or coconut ice cream and um, you can get you know soy chocolates and um, and then I show them on my cake I use tofuti better than cream cheese and non-dairy cream cheese um, with icing sugar to make the frosting and it gives the cakes I mean that's really that's the secret of my success is the tofuti <laughs> um, gives the cake this amazing creamy taste and the cakes are moist they're just totally gorgeous and you know and I say you know you can even get these days you can get a vegan mozzarella you can get a vegan pepperoni you can get everything this you really don't miss out on anything and then some people and then sometimes I get travelers backpackers and they'll say um you know I'm a vegetarian but I just quite you know I'd really like to go vegan but I, I can't get it's just too inconvenient while I'm on the road and then I, I just look at them and I say if you can get, if you can get a bag of rice and beans, man, you can be vegan. <laughs> exactly. We get we get a lot of travellers too, actually, because we were in Auckland City and we we were on the street and there was a lot of backpackers and they would. Yeah, and I say it's no less 
inconvenient than if you had, say, a dairy allergy. And there's a lot of people with allergies and they just have to prepare in advance if they're going to a restaurant. And that's the same for us vegans. If I'm going to a restaurant, I'll, um, if it's one I haven't been to before, I might ring ahead if I get a chance to and just say, hi, I've got a, a dinner party of eight, three of us are vegan, what can you make for us? And, and some restaurants are very vegan unfriendly, but most of them are great. Um, especially if you give them some warning that you're coming. And then there's other restaurants that are just terrific for vegans, like Thai restaurants are usually awesome. Indian restaurants are great, so long as you tell them to leave out the ghee and the yogurt and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, it's, I mean, people have allergies and they have to deal with this. And so what I really want to get across to people is being vegan is easy. It's just easy. We, you know, I don't say that to the people we... You don't have any excuses. I don't say that. But this is what I'm saying to myself. Like, we don't have any excuses. No, and you have to care, though. You have to care. You know, pe people who, um, you know, you have to actually care enough. And that's why we, we are t always talking to people about our focus is the, um, the, the justice and the nonviolence and this terrible oppression of innocence and, and making them care. Because once somebody cares, I mean... I'm a living example of that. I, you're a living example of that. You've gone out of your way to make sure that you're going to stay vegan. Even if you go out to a restaurant that's not, not a vegan restaurant, you're going to make sure that you are completely consistent with your actions. You know, you're going to make it happen because you care. And so when, once you get people to care, um, you know, it, it is super, super easy. But it is, it is the truth. I'll look people in the eye and say veganism is easy. And I am not lying to them. Yeah, it is. Yep. And what you're saying is spot on about you just have to care in the first place. Uh, when someone says, oh, it's too hard or it's inconvenient uh, while I'm traveling, uh, I'll just share quickly my story when I first went vegan. I said, oh, 15 years ago when I first went vegan, um, it was hard in the beginning because I didn't know what to eat. You know, I had to figure all this new stuff out. I had to learn how to cook new things and I had to um, find vegan alternatives and I didn't know. But once I knew, it was easy. And, and um, you know, once you read the ingredients on some brands, you know – that's vegan and you keep going for that same brand and um yeah when people say oh it's it's too hard or it's too inconvenient i'll just say well when i first went vegans people were offering me these yummy foods that i used to like you know they'll say oh you would, would you like a chocolate would you like some cheesecake um would you like a chicken wing and i you know i still had the habit and the enjoyment of all all the flavors of those foods which now repulse me of course but back then of, of course you it's like oh yeah yeah i'd really love some chocolate cheesecake um, but then instantly I was turned off. All I had to do is think about that miserable dairy cow and her calf being ripped away from her. And that's all you need. You need, so when I, I, I tell people, you need a compelling reason, a, com a compelling moral reason to be vegan. Otherwise you won't, you won't stay vegan. That's right. I agree. And that's what we're doing is at the, at the, when we're doing abolitionist advocacy is we are honestly and truthfully T telling people the truth and you know people respond very wonderfully but they don't you know it's not about not telling people the truth about the details of industry it's just that that's not the the focus of of the problem we don't we don't delude them into thinking that that's the that's the problem we we let them know that that's a consequence of their non-veganness of their actions well we don't say that that's you know that this is the problem the problem is that they're being dehorned without anesthetic that we say the reason they're being dehorned without anesthetic is because their property and the reason their property is because people are buying their products yes yes it's and, all about demand yeah so and that's, that's yeah. the 
the brilliance of vegan education is it's 100% focused on the demand for these tortured animal products. It's demand. And so if you're doing other campaigns like welfare campaigns, single-issue campaigns, it's, it's, it's a total focus on the supply, which doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So, and, you know, it just... But I do urge people to, to, to learn what just... Bef- you know, when you go out there, just... If, if you're inspired to go into a street stall and you've never, um, you, you don't know what abolitionist advocacy is, just ask yourself, whenever anyone comes to you, just pretend that you're talking about a human rights issue that you're unequivocal about yeah. and then just translate that rhetoric. So like if you were doing a campaign about child human slavery, the rhetoric that you use that is wrong and it needs to stop, just translate that to the animal advocacy and don't make those compromises and then you can learn the sort of theory later and then you learn how to deal with the questions later like what about the backyard hens which I guess we never really actually covered yeah we should, we should definitely talk about that seeing as it's the question I get 12 could times you, could you share please because I we get that question a lot and I'd like to know what you say so can yeah we I'd just... like to hear what you say too unless we say similar things so someone says um, would you eat um, the eggs from chickens in your backyard who have been cared for very well? And then I'll say there's a few ways to answer that. And um, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge that I, I'm quite sure that the people who have those chickens probably care for them very much, and some of them might even be pets. And um, and it's quite possible in most situations that those um, birds are, are pretty happy. I mean, they've got, they've got a, a happy life. Um, so here's, here's the problem. Um, we're perpetuating the domestication. So it's, it's a little bit like slavery. Like, sure, they might be um, happy, but they're still slaves. They can't leave the property. They have their chicks taken away from them and given to neighbours. Um, they have their eggs taken. And to a bird, um, fertilised or not fertilised, their eggs are their babies. And... In most situations, the chickens don't like their eggs taken, and there's plenty of proof of that. I have a friend um, in my town who uses a wooden egg to fool the chickens to prevent them from moving their nest. So um, that wouldn't be the case in a small pen, but these chickens have the full range of the backyard and garden, and um, they'll roost and they'll lay eggs, and if you take all the eggs away, they'll move their nest somewhere else because they don't want their eggs taken. So they'll They'll take all the eggs and replace it with a wooden egg. And that bird, because she believes that that egg is fertilised and she has to care for that chick to grow inside that egg, she's compelled to stay and she'll stay on that nest and keep laying more eggs. Um, so there, there you go. There's an indication. She doesn't like her eggs taken. It's a violation of her basic rights to be left alone, to not be harmed, and, and it's stealing. I mean, it really, that's what it comes down to. It, happy or not, whether she, you know, and people think that they consent, you know, well, you know, a, a, a person who's a slave, uh, a human slave, can't. You can't really say that they consent to working. It might look like they're consenting to work, but they're in a situation of slavery. So, what choice do they have? Um, the, the chicken. I mean, I, I talk about their origins. So, chickens. Um, you know, their ancestors come from the rainforest, and that is now that's free range. <laughs> that is, so here they are. They have a rooster to look after them and protect them. And they have other hens to socialise with. And when they lay eggs, they lay eggs for themselves, for reproduction. There is no other bird out there in nature who lays an egg a day out for human consumption. We've, we've taken them out of the wild 
and domesticated them and bred them over many, many generations to lay a very unnaturally high amount of eggs. Uh, so naturally, chickens lay about 24 eggs a year, two clutches a year, about 12 eggs in each clutch, mostly fertilised for their own purposes. They lay the eggs for themselves. Um, over generations of breeding, we've um, made these egg-laying hens to lay between two to 300 eggs a year, which is a colossal amount of eggs in these egg-laying situations, uh, which is sometimes up to, you know, about an egg a day sometimes. Uh, it's very unnatural. It's taxing on the, the birds. Um, in the farming situation, so shifting away from backyard situation, in the farming situation, um, like the dairy cows, these egg-laying hens get osteoporosis. All that calcium goes into shell production and they get weak bones. And if you've got a shed full of um, battery hens or a so-called free-range barn where, where they've they're still shoulder to shoulder. They're in one big giant cage instead of tiny little cages. And um, they've had one year of exhaustive egg laying and uh, then they're going to be sent to the slaughterhouse. And so you've got a couple of men in a big truck and they're going to be rough. They're going to be fast. They grab those chickens by the legs and they throw them into crates. And because their bones are so weak, many times their legs break and, and that's their their ride to the slaughterhouse, those poor little darlings. And, you know, free range or battery cage, it doesn't matter. Like, they, they still suffer. They still go to the same slaughterhouse anyway. And then, I mean, the other way to answer the backyard hen situation is um, where did the eggs come? Where did you get the chicks from? If you got them from a pet store, they probably came from a hatchery. And from a hatchery, you know what happens there. You've got, you know, uh, by the hundreds of thousands, you've got male chicks, um, literally thrown into the garbage because they can't lay eggs. So there's wherever you look, um, eggs involve violence. You cannot escape it. And, and from a hatchery, they'll send um, crates of female chicks to um, battery farms, which 99% of all the eggs you ever see come from a battery farm, and then uh, uh, to the niche market free-range biodynamic farms. They come from the same place. They come from a hatchery where there's lots of violence. And what about the mothers who laid those fertilised eggs? You, you know, you'd have cages of mothers laying eggs. They never see their eggs, and they're incubated in a room away from the hens, in a, you know, in a warm room. So these, these poor childless mothers... Um, who never get to see their chicks, and, and you know, they, they would have been artificially inseminated. And again, if you've got a shed full of thousands of, of um, chickens to produce chicks and you've got some farmers, it's going to be fast, it's going to be rough, and, uh, you know, doing the artificial insemination. So there's tremendous um, violence and violation of basic rights happening um, in the egg industry. And then those eggs also are sent to pet shops um, where the males are killed. So... Um, I mean, one of the first things I say when people say, what about backyard hens? I say, well, if you've got seven happy backyard hens, where are the seven roosters? Where are their brothers? You know, half the chicks are male, half of them are female. What happened to the roosters? Everybody knows that they were killed. Good, good, good point. I want to thank you because I did not know a lot about the nature of, of chickens. I've, re I've heard other people talk about it. I know... Um, I've heard about how they protect their eggs and how they don't like their eggs to be taken. Um, and um, I, I just didn't know as many of the facts and figures that you do. I didn't have the sort of general knowledge that you have in order to answer the question with regard to that aspect of it. So that that was really helpful to me. Um, but I do... I do use this. I do tell people about the males being killed and where did the backyard hens come from. And um, oh, I've got one more thing to say about the, that before I forget. Um, I use this especially to explain to children. For instance, I have two gorgeous, 
um, young vegan boys, um, my sons, and I explain veganism to them in a way that they can understand. And usually this explanation works very well with adults too. <laughs> um, imagine we wouldn't climb up a tree and take the eggs out of a bird's nest, would we? So why do it to chickens? Oh, very good. I like it. Yeah. And my sons, they totally get veganism. They're age five and seven and they love being vegans and they're eating vegan food is very important to them that anytime they're at school or at someone else's house, if they're offered something, they'll ask, is that vegan? Can you read the ingredients, please? They don't want to touch um, animal products. They know. They, um, cause I, you know, I don't tell them graphic details or anything, but I let them know that, that, you know, there's great, um, suffering inflicted on animals. Yeah. Yeah. And they're healthy. I mean, that's another thing is that, um, I'm, I, I don't have any children and I'm, I do, um, I, I'm grateful that, that there are people who've raised their children, um, vegan, uh, because then there, that's another living example that, um, is busts the myth that it's cause, you know, people have real fear about veganism. They have real fear about the health myths about it. Um, these are not um, made-up fears. They're real. People are believe that their children will be malnourished. They believe that they will get B12 deficiency or that they will get osteoporosis or that they will get iron deficiency. They believe these are real fears. So it's nice to have more and more people being vegan, number one, of all different shapes and sizes and all different ethnic groups and races and all those kind of things because that's one wonderful thing that's happening now that more people are going vegan. And another thing is there's more children being raised vegan who are very, very healthy children, of course. And um, and so this is all this is all very helpful I mean, I should. I'm not using them as tools, but it is nice to. It's nice to just be able to have that out there. Just and I love hearing the stories. I mean, I don't hear very many. Most of the time, my children are just playing and they're just being kids. And veganism is never really an issue that's raised. And I'm sure that as they get older, you know, they'll probably get teased. But I mean, when you're at school, you could be teased for anything. If it's not, if it's, it could be the shape of your nose. <laughs> So um, that, I, know, I know it's coming and I've, I'm preparing them for, you know, there's going to be a time you're, you're probably going to be teased about being vegan. But that's okay. You just be who you are and, um, you, you know, you have to do what's right. Merikai will sometimes come back from school with, with a story and he'll say, somebody was asking me, why don't, why don't you eat meat, Merikai? Here, have some. Don't you want to try it? It's really delicious, you know. Don't you like it? And then he, he, he says, no, thank you. And he said, how would you like it if you were put in a cage and you were killed? <laughs> wow you know and that's he you know he works that out on his own and and uh, i love it he's he's pretty smart <laughs> i mean it doesn't take much to get veganism kids know that it's wrong to hurt they know it's wrong to steal you don't steal eggs from chicken from birds you don't steal babies from mothers they know that it's wrong to hurt others it's such a simple concept don't steal and don't hurt others. Uh, how easy is that? So yeah, my kids, they, they completely get it. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh yes. I've seen photos of them and they're so beautiful. Oh, thank you. All right. Um, well, gosh, I think that we've, I mean, I'm just feeling so inspired. I'm so excited about my stall next week. It's been really killing me not doing it. I haven't done it for, it's been about three weeks now. Um, and we're going to begin again, um, starting on next weekend. So I'm really, really excited and inspired and I want to make sure I have, uh, enough pamphlets and things and we're going to have a nice big table cause we can rent a table for this place. Oh, and it's, it is, and it's not, and it's not because it's an organized 
sort of situation and it's not just me out on the street um I could do it by myself and I could like go back to my car and get things without thinking I'm just leaving my bag sitting in the middle of the street, you know, because there'll be other people there. So it's like a more secure with regard to setting up. I don't have to worry so much about that. I'm going to have a nice big table and I'm going to make a lot more cupcakes because I think I'll be giving more away. And I'm like you, I want the cupcakes to be killer. I want those cupcakes. I mean, I, I've made dozens of cupcakes that I have not given out. I'm like, no, I'm not giving that out. And I will just, they're I will, no, they're not <laughs> like, I won't give out substandard cupcakes. No way. Oh, the last thing I want is somebody to say, I had a vegan cupcake and it wasn't very good. I mean, it's not, it's not that important. Like in the grand scheme of things, you say to people, whether the cupcakes are good or not is really not the point. And you know, the fact is, is that amazing chefs out there can make this amazing vegan cupcakes probably better than mine. But even if you walk away and you didn't like the cupcake very much, it's really not an excuse, but it's nice to have that feedback where it's like, oh my gosh, I had a vegan cupcake and it was incredible. I mean, it can only help. That's right. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, I've even had, um, some weeks back I had um, a cattle rancher visit my table and he, while I was talking to other people, he was reading every poster, everything. That, and I could tell that he was a cattle farmer because of the clothes he was wearing. And um, he came up to me and folded his arms and looked at me and sort of lifted his head back a bit and lifted up his chin and looked at me. And and and, uh, and I, I, I said, I gave him the same treatment of, as everybody else. And I said, uh, said hello and smiled and and uh, asked him if he'd like to have a cupcake. And then he sort of suspiciously looked at me and said, do you know who I am? And I said, yes, I do. You're a cattle, you farm cattle. And he said, how did you know? I said, well, look at your clothes. You're wearing Aaron Williams. <laughs> so that broke the ice and he smiled. And so he, he's eating a, a lemon lime sunshine cake. And, and immediate, it's funny because we start this conversation and immediately you can see the face change that he's impressed by the cake. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, he, he warns me to begin with. He says, you know, I've read all your material and, and I don't agree. I, you know, I don't agree with you, but I think you look like a very nice person, so I'm not going to argue with you. Um, but And, we, you know, we had a short exchange. And, and, and then I, it was funny because then I looked to the side and I could see his family, his wife and daughter, were sort of having a giggle and they were taking photographs. And I smiled at them in a wave and I said, yes, your husband's talking to the vegan. <laughs> <laughs> so and then a couple of hours later then I talked to an ex-slaughter worker and 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 he also read everything that I had at the table and was very interested and um, we had a, a short conversation so you know that's not going to lead to veganism I mean maybe it would but um in some situations but it's wonderful to engage with everybody so that for the first time for the first time in that um farmer's life he would have met a vegan and what a, a, a vegan is supposed to be and what we represent. So I wasn't misrepresenting veganism. Right. I, I wasn't there with the wrong message. I wasn't there with a live export, you know, boycott live export campaign because that's what they expect. You know, they, they, <laughs> they, they come up and they expect to see the RSPCA and, and pictures of animal abuse and, and um, blaming the farmers for being cruel. And I wasn't there doing that. I was just representing veganism. And um, so I know he's not going to go vegan and and I wasn't expecting him to, but I was delighted that we could have a positive exchange. Absolutely. And um, I find, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of um, people who, and when they, you know, people come up and they openly admit, I used to, you know, I'm a hunter, I've, I, I, or, or I used to, I used to work in a slaughterhouse. And, um, and we have a conversation where, um, 
they, you know, we, we don't, I don't know if they expect us to turn around and say, oh, well, you're just a, well, how could you ever do that or anything? We, we do, just like you say, we talk about, I say to them, yeah, well, I used to eat, you know, the bodies of animals that you killed. I mean, I used to be the customer, <laughs> you know, that you were working for. I know. And I think they expect us to be upset that they were a hunter. Um, but it's no different. It's eating animals or being the hunter or the person who eats the animal products. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's just it's just a different mindset. I mean, um, I, I still feel like somebody who physically kills themselves they they have they have something or in that moment they've they've done something i've i've killed i've shot somebody and i'm i've murdered somebody deliberately with a gun a, a possum when i was um in my teens trying to oh, yeah. press a boy and um i forgot all about it um for years and um when i remembered it when i remembered that i'd done it it was when I had been vegan for a while. And I thought, I have actually murdered someone. I've shot somebody to death. And it was at night time. And I try not to think about it. But I remember um, that I did that. And, and I remember what it was like to be curious and to say, oh, I want to know what it's like. I literally said, I want to know what it's like. That was because I was with these two guys and one of them I was trying to impress. I was I had a crush on. And um, literally, I killed somebody just to impress this guy. So, you know, if, 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 if I can come from that <laughs> and stand there and, and talk to people who, who, yeah, exactly. who, who've just done it a few more times. And who knows, if I had gotten with, maybe if I had become with this person and I'd gone and lived out there and things, who knows how many times I would have killed like that. But I, I've certainly been responsible for a heck of a lot more deaths than, than that one, um, whether I pulled the trigger or not. So I say that to people. I say, listen, it's not about the fact that you used to hunt. I say, it's this is, you know, the whole world, every human, you know, this whole planet, you know, and it's not limited. One of the things I loved the most about your, one of the interviews that you did when you did an interview with Gary Francione and he spoke to you and Jeff about your advocacy in um, Alice Springs. And this is probably before you started the um, Alice Springs Vegan Society Facebook page. I can't remember or the Alice Springs Vegan Society right. events. Yep. But one of the things, one of the things that you said was, and it struck me so well, was he was talking about, you said, I don't really talk necessarily too much to um, Aboriginal Australians, um, uh, with regard to their own um, history, or I, I don't sort of, I don't have have a way of sharing with it. I don't focus on that. But you said, but it's not limited to um, Aboriginals. The the killing and the farming and the and the slaughter of animals isn't limited to Aboriginals. It's all people. I mean, it's 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 the it's the white people. And and I looked at it and I said, well, from a cultural perspective, uh, it. Um, killing animals and eating them for food is not culturally restricted to indigenous populations. It's in all cultures. Exactly. So exactly. And and um and I um I remember um I had this poster that I made where I really love it, but I I don't use it at the store anymore. It was I was said be vegan for all our children's future. And there's pictures of all. Um, I tried to use only non-domestic animals because I want the future to be without domestic animals <laughs> so um, I had so I had pictures of but there's humans on there as well and one of them is this beautiful little um, baby and he's an African baby and um, he is he's just the cutest thing so this guy walked past and he was from Africa and he spotted the picture and he came over to talk to me and he said oh I see you have this 
what are you doing? Like, what is this all about? He says, I see you have this photo of this little baby on this poster. It's like a really small photo. It's like part of a whole ton of photos. And then I said to him, you know, this is about veganism. This is about, you know, nonviolence and such. And he said, oh, well, where I live, you know, we shoot, we, we shoot and kill animals, you know, all the time. We hunt all the time. And I was like, um, they do that here too. Heaps, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was like, it's not just in Africa. <laughs> And he said, oh, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's the most delightful thing. Um, what's delightful? When you get someone interested in what you do who you least expect it. So sometimes, or actually every time I run my table, I will get some um, very tribal Indigenous people come to the table and start a conversation with me. And some of them, their English is very poor, um, but we can still, I'll, I'll just, you know, slow down um, my talking and use really simple, clear language um, and maybe use pictures because I've got pictures there as well. I've got a, a choice of uh, sad but not graphic and then I do have graphic pictures as well on hand um, that I can show. And so we have a conversation and then, and then I offer them cupcakes um, and, you know, they, they relate. They, even though, they, they're, yes, there's violence in the culture and, yes, they have hunting um, and they, they, they eat a lot of meat, which, by the way, is not, um, not their traditional diet. Like the Central Desert Aborigines, um, 80% of their diet was um, plant-based and um, only 20% was, was hunted. Um, but that's radically changed uh, since colonisation. Um, you know, now they have, oh, my gosh, they eat so much meat. <laughs> and dairy products, which, you know, is really bad for them and, and, and um, all the health consequences that come from a, a protein, animal protein-heavy diet. But anyway, um, so we just get talking about that. And, and it's, it just makes me happy that, that even the people you least expect um, – will resonate with that message of nonviolence. And you see them shaking their heads like, I have a, a picture. Um, it's not too graphic and horrible, but it, it's very, very sad. And it, it, it really provokes people. Like people really react to this photo. And it's been so successful online on my Alice Springs Vegan Society Facebook page that I decided to take it to the streets. Another uh, new introduction to my street stalls. Like, man, if this works online, I've got to try this at the street stand. So it's a photo of a rubbish bin piled high with live male chicks and filled to the brim. And right on the top, all the, the little fluffy yellow chicks are, are all alive and they're sitting on the top and you can see that underneath them would be the suffocated corpses of all their brothers. And there's three rubbish bins side by side just filled with live chicks literally thrown away like garbage. Um, they're not thought of as living birds with feelings and interests and needs and a desire to live and the capacity to suffer because in the eyes of the law they are property and they that's all no different you know to throwing out rubbish and, and that's what they are they're treated like that and it, it just says it all in this one picture so I have that on hand and and um you know if people say what about free range and then I'll pull out this photo um uh, and uh, so I show this picture and, and yeah, so I have some Indigenous people who um, look at this and they shake their heads and they just say, that's cruel. But, you know, they, they know it's wrong. And I say, that's eggs. <laughs> that's, this is where eggs come from. 
And this is why this is why I'm a vegan and I have scrambled tofu instead of scrambled eggs. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. And I just want people like I haven't actually got anything because I um I, I do want to have those in hand just for people listening. You you told me about this, Ren, and I just want people listening to know that you have pictures. You don't display them, but they're there. And you have pictures of all ranges of, of animal use that you can actually pull out and show people. So it's not that you um, – if somebody uh, expresses an interest to say, well, I don't believe you, 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 you know, or show me, what, show me what you mean, you actually have the pictures there. So, you know, um, I just don't have them because I have not been – able to gather them <sighs> uh, and, and that's and that's fun and I totally respect um, in, in fact you can you can do very successful advocacy without graphic images easily I just find it a wonderful tool when used at the right time um, so I have a, a little I haven't got all the pictures that I have on the on the internet on my page but I do have one photo album that I printed out in plastic sleeves and it's called The Sad Story of Milk and it shows the story from conception through to slaughter of the dairy cow. Um, and it, it's, it's just sad. And I actually I use that book a lot now, but I flip through and avoid the graphic pictures and I just show them the sad ones. Like there's a, a photo of a, a, a newborn calf in a, in a bucket, in a, um, a wheelbarrow. The farmers just plopped him into this wheelbarrow um, he's still wet from being born. He's probably been with his mother for 24 hours and, and he's been carted away. And he's just sitting there. He's his little pink nose and he doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, he's just taken away from his mother. And this happens all the time for these, these you know, heartbroken um, dairy cows. And they'll cry for up to three weeks for their baby. And, and I'll just show that picture, that one picture. It's not graphic. There's no blood and gore in it, but it just shows the heartache. And so pictures like that, um, and some people cry at that image, you know, so they'll just look and, and they'll shake their head and they'll ho- ho- put their hand on their heart and they can see the pain. And um, so pictures can be very effective. Um, and for anyone who wants to, you know, when I see people starting to flip through my book, I warn them straight away. I say, warning, there's some graphic pictures in there. And most people don't, but there are some people that they'll, they'll go, oh, no, 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 thanks you. And it's good to have pamphlets that don't have any graphic pictures and people say, oh, I don't want to see any pictures of animal suffering. You go, here, have this one. <laughs> um, and so you've always got something for everybody. And I really respect people's desire not to see graphic pictures. Um, I totally respect that. They don't have to. You know, don't, we don't want to force anybody to see um, suffering. Well, and also it's a, it's a handy thing because I say to them, you know, um, I, I say to them, well, that shows me that you really, really care. You really don't want to hurt. <gasps> yes. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up. It is so true, and we have to capitalize on that caring. So, But some advocates I've noticed online think the opposite when they see people that say, oh, no, I can't look at that, or I can't watch Earthlings, or I can't see that picture, or do you have to post that horrible picture on my news feed? Um, and then the person who's posted it, it says, well, you just don't care about animals. And how can you be so ignorant that you don't, <laughs> don't care? And I'm like, no, actually, it's the opposite. They care a damn lot. <laughs> and use that, you know, use that caring, caring. Have a conversation with that person and say, well, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You, you, can't even, you can't even look at it. You know, I, I say, listen, you, you can't. You, yeah, that's right. If you can't even look at it, imagine how bad it is for the animal or, oh, yeah, so don't we just can't get upset with people for, for not wanting to see those pictures. And like you said, it's absolutely a sign that they care, and that's a good thing. That's right. And I and I will and I'm blunt. I mean, I'm honest. I, I say, listen, what you don't want to see, 
every time you buy that product, that's what you're take. That's what you're participating in. If you can't bear to see animal suffering, how can you be? How can you bear to be a part of? How how can you be the cause of it? How yeah. can you stand being the cause of that suffering? Yeah, and you're planting these ideas, and and believe me, um, I think it's just so incredibly important. Um, I I just it's just so important for us to be um, telling people those truths and, and people, people think about it and they might walk away. They might say nothing. Um, they might say, I've had people say, Oh my gosh, everything you say makes sense, but I'm not going to be vegan. I know. And I say to I, them, you know what you can, you, I say, you can, if you want to, I say, I say, oh, um, I you say that now, but it, it's, it's, I don't believe you because I, I know that you can do it. And I'm like, you've just let, and I say to them, listen, I understand that this is just a very, um, because sometimes people just haven't ever thought about it. And then they say, oh my gosh, I've never, ever, ever, ever been forced to think about this. Like you're making me think about this. And I say, exactly. And then they say, well, I can never, go, never, never be vegan. And I say, well, that's not true at all. Um, you totally could. And, um, and I say, but at least you're thinking about it. And, you know, I'll have people coming up and saying, um, you've really, you've really, really got me thinking. Uh, I just want to tell you, you've really got me thinking. And I'm like, I know, I know, because you're a good person. I can tell. And so, Yeah, and I, I really like that response. Um, you can if you really want to. Uh, that's, that's a very encouraging comment. I, I haven't used that before. What I say if somebody says, you know, I really agree with what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense to me, but I, look, I just can't go vegan. Um, my, my default response to that is, um, if you really like what you hear and you think you like the idea of going vegan but you think it might be too hard, um, what I'd love to suggest is to try going vegan two days a week and make it the same day each week and until it becomes easier to um, to do more. And you know what? That really works. Actually, I will, I will tell you a success story. Um, uh, Regina and Ryan um, visited my store. And it's so funny. Like I see dozens and dozens of faces and and it's like I can't remember them all. <laughs> but people remember me and so here I am at, at um the local um vegetarian cafe that serves mostly vegan food and there was this guy with a really big smile on his face looking at me and I'm thinking you know I don't know this guy and and, and um and he, and he says hi Renata and I'm like you know who is he <laughs> And he says, I'm Ryan, and um, I, I visited your stall um, two weeks ago at the Sunday Markets, and me and my girlfriend, Regina, went vegan. And I was like, ah, oh. so we exchanged a hug, and uh, we talked about it. And he said, um, what really resonated with me was uh, when you were talking about grain production and how two-thirds of the world's grain is fed to livestock instead of directly to humans, and it takes 16 kilograms of grain to get just one kilogram of meat, and that was just awful, and, and that's what really got me thinking about it. And anyway, so we decided to, to take Jeff's suggestion to uh, go vegan once a week because we thought it was going to be too hard to go vegan. So we we went grocery shopping and we were like okay well we're going to shop for our vegan day. What can, what can we get? We didn't know what to buy. So we're in the we have an empty trolley and we're pushing the trolley around the supermarket and we started reading ingredients. I'm like okay, all right, this is vegan. All right, we'll put that in the trolley. And then this is so funny. I just love this story. <laughs> 
And then they found something else like, oh, what, you know, what margarine can we, oh, I don't know, which one's vegan? I don't know what they're reading all the ingredients. Okay, Nuddlex, that's vegan. Right, we'll get that. And what do you think we should eat? You know, okay, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. What, what can we get that's vegan? And so they started filling up their trolley with more and more vegan things and the trolley's getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> And then they realized that they'd filled up their trolley with only vegan things. And they looked at each other and that's their groceries for the week. They don't, you know, they don't have any money to buy anything else. And they looked at each other and they said, oh, well, we'll just go vegan then. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh. And they did. And that started from the, we'll try going vegan one day a week. And it ended up being the whole week. And, and that was two weeks. And, you know, two weeks had passed and they saw me at the cafe and I joined them and we, you know, we had more of a chat and I was just, you know, thrilled. Yeah, that's, that's so wonderful. What a great story. Thanks for that. I've heard um, people say that, suggest that before. Gary suggests one, go vegan for breakfast and lunch and dinner. I like that idea. I don't tell people that enough. I don't use that enough. Yeah, you can. Well, you, well, I mean, that's the other thing you can say. Why don't you try just going vegan, make one meal a day, make it the easy one. You could just for breakfast, just get breakfast sorted out and do that for, you know, two weeks of just having um, only vegan breakfast and then try lunch or try and then do snacks. And, and then finally the big one is dinner and then make, and then say, you're vegan. Like that. Well, you're vegan um, in your diet, and then when you the next time you go to buy your clothing, I mean, this is this is another myth that I, I you know I want to that I want to talk about as well when I do a podcast about about this, and I hope that you also do cover these in your radio show. It's like, you know, it's not that we don't acknowledge that people take steps. The difference between saying to somebody the right thing to do is go vegan if you care about animals, this is how you do it, and they say I'm not going to go vegan right away, and you say you go vegan for breakfast and learn how to do it in steps. It took me a while. I tell people, listen, I was vegan for months before I learned that about wine that wasn't vegan, and I was drinking non-vegan wine, and as soon as I found out, I stopped. I said, listen, it's a process. The difference between that and saying cut down or have a meat-free Monday is meat-free month, you're not saying to people... The, the, the difference is is that we're saying veganism is the way to go and then when somebody says I'm not going to do it right now or I don't know how to begin or I'm intimidated by the idea of changing all these habits and yeah, it seems like we're not feeding them on the head. <laughs> right. But we're, we are acknowledging that they take steps but we're never – we never compromise the moral message and we never lie to them and say, I mean, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people say, it's bitter. I mean, if, if everybody stops eating meat on Mondays, it's bitter. Well, you know, that may necessarily, that may not necessarily be true because what else are they eating instead and how much are they doing the other days of the week? I mean, forgetting all that. But the bottom line is, if you tell somebody that, it, it is what is happening to animals is, is, is this injustice and this horrific torture. And here's the evidence, if you don't believe me, and here are the stories, and just think about it. I mean, you're eating their corpses. What do you think is happening to them? Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that if they do less of it, that it's, quote, bitter. But you don't need to – I mean, no kidding. I mean, but that is just such a stupid thing. So it's like anybody with, with half a brain is going to know that if something is wrong, if you do less of it, it's better than that if you do more of it. But that's really not the point. The point is not to have campaigns about doing less harm. So there's there's a major misconception out there. So vegan advocacy – 
can say you do it in steps, you do it one at a time, but we never equivocate about the fact that it, veganism is the thing that you're aiming towards and that you're working towards. And we never lie and say that anything less is anything but what it is, which is participating in violence and torture. It's blatantly obvious that slaughtering 10 animals a week is better than slaughtering 20. But you don't need to say that. That's a stupid thing to concentrate on because anybody can figure that out, that less of a bad thing is better than more of a bad thing. I mean, why is this this misconception out there that we don't, that just drives me nuts. It's like, no kidding, it's better. It is so true. And it, it it's, yeah, I just go straight back to the human analogy. If I was a human rights activist instead of a vegan animal rights activist, how, what a ridiculous campaign to, to say just cut back on child abuse, you know, Child Abuse Free Monday. Like, oh, just cut back. But Ren, you know, just... but Ren, it's better if people don't beat their children oh, yeah, at least one, one day a week. Yeah. <laughs> it's better that five children are beaten up rather than uh, seven children. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's better. Well, no kidding. But let's talk about oh. Yeah, so it's it's this very speciesist thing to do, and um and it's also because it's using the word better in a way that you would never use it in any other context. You know, like it's better to be tortured. Well, on. I'd say better. I'd say it's less torturous. Uh, you know, slightly slightly less torturous. We would never use the same rhetoric that the welfare campaign uses. Banning the worst abuses. Oh, so slaughtering and stealing babies is not a, is not a worst abuse. So it's like you would never use that. So don't you dare. You know, don't don't even like. Oh, oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting riled up. But that's what drives me crazy about the misconceptions. And I think it's very important for us because now we have more people who are interested. They're out there saying. I want to do vegan advocacy, but do, doesn't welfare advocacy wake people up to, to the um, terrible things that are happening to animals? And I'm like, um, why do you th- – I've said this before in my podcast, but I think I need to actually do a dedicated – I mean, I want to do like a dedicated thing that that addresses this stuff because there are people out there – who really do think that what we do when we say um, unequivocal abolitionist vegan advocacy is we go out, we say, go vegan now. And if somebody comes up and says, I can't go vegan now, we just say, go vegan now. And then they say, oh, well, I'm really curious about free range. Go vegan now. No, we have a conversation. We tell them that it takes time. We acknowledge that you have to learn. And it's like, it's not this, uh, you know, it's all or nothing. Oh, you don't want to go vegan now? Goodbye then. You know, there's this misconception out there. They don't actually know that we're we're ta- we're exposing the same things that animal welfare exposes. We don't we don't hide the fact that animals are being tortured. Yes, and it's it's just that their message is just cut back and sign this petition to to give them two, two extra inches of cage. That's their solution. We also present the same problem. Here are animals in cages suffering, but our answer is not to sign this petition. <laughs> our answer is. Look, just stop using them at all. It, you know, they they're going to suffer one way or the other. They got, they're still going to suffer in a in a free range farm situation. They still go to the same slaughterhouse. It, it's all violence. You can't escape it. The only way to get out of this violence is to be vegan. Yeah, and then we work with them on it. But we never lie. I mean, if someone doesn't go vegan, I move on to the next person who will. And the people who won't go vegan and say, "What about free range?" They're going to take those steps on their own. We don't have to encourage them to. Yeah, because like I say, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that less painful torture is better than more painful torture. But as long as you let people know that torture is wrong, then that just goes without saying, doesn't it? So tell them that torture is wrong and then they'll figure out that, gee, less torture is better. But that's not the point. They'll still know it's immoral. They'll still know it's torture and they'll still know it's wrong. Yep. And and if you said... um, 
if they said, I won't go vegan, and, and instead of saying, oh, well, why don't you try um, going vegan two days a week, and it, which is what we suggested, and it, instead of saying that, it's like, oh, well, why don't you buy a free range? Um, if, if you said that, they're going to walk away going, those animal people who claim to care very much about animals and they represent animal rights, they're saying that I can meet my moral obligation to non-human animals by just cutting back and, and having a meat-free Monday and eating free-range eggs and happy meat, um, I'm going to do that. They are going to do, if you tell them, they're going to do that. That's exactly what they'll do. They're not going to think about veganism. But we have to take a stand and insist on veganism and because anything less than veganism is just more violence. And so we have to, we have to be very clear that nothing, it's not a, like people think, oh, you know, we're, we're being elitist because we won't accept any other smaller changes. We, we do accept smaller changes, but we have to be the, the ones to take a stand and say, look, I'm sorry, but this free range stuff just doesn't cut it. No, that's exactly right. And, and the worst thing is, is that it's sort of the same scene that's seen as like the same. It's kind of like, well, you can go vegan or you can do this. And they're like, well, so they're, they're basically doing the same kind of thing. You know, they've given me this option of I can go vegan to help animals or I can do this to help animals. So it's really sort of one other, um, just one other thing to do. Um, or, or worse, they'll just sort of act like, um, it's only for like really special people who can be vegan. I mean, the thing, the thing that drives Super me nuts purist. is that all, yeah, all of the people, like the most purists. This is the things I get accused oh, of. Oh, yeah, purist, yeah. and oh, you, you know, you're you're so healthy, and I, I got told I have an absolute view of the universe. And some, um, oh, some people's, yeah, what, oh, God, oh my God, did you? <laughs> yeah, but I have an absolute view about child rape and about torturing people and about, you know, human slavery. I have an absolute view about that too. I mean, you know, it's funny. I listened to this, I listened to myself speaking and um, this is what I heard the other abolitionists when I first got into it saying was like, we're being told that we're fundamentalists. And that's what I heard. The first, the first person I ever heard being told those kind of things was, was Gary Francione, who's been being told those things for 30 something years or however long it is. But he was like, literally Eric Marcus called him a fundamentalist and he had to, and I, and, 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 and I thought, um, wow, but isn't that guy vegan? <laughs> why is he saying, why is he saying it's fundamental to want veganism? That is the weirdest thing in the world to me. It's like, aren't you a fundamentalist too? Then, oh no, I'm not a fundamentalist because I'm vegan and it's okay for me, but I'm not going to tell anybody else that because I must be some kind of special superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, just... am I a fundamentalist because I absolutely object to rape, not even a tiny little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's if that's being fundamentalist, then sign me up. You know, I, okay, fine. <laughs> it's just but I don't. Yeah, but it is just a word. But it is, it is astonishing. So, but that's why I really do like I do, and I and I acknowledge that there that, that that the people out there who are who are having these misconceptions about what abolitionist vegan advocacy is don't actually know what it is because if they did, they wouldn't be saying these outrageous things. So they don't know. So it's up to us to tell them. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show as well to talk about the street stall because you do an abolitionist street stall and and you have a wonderful result. It works, Elizabeth. 
I mean, I, I was so shocked in the beginning. Like, I was like, I can't believe all these people are interested in veganism. I thought that they would argue with me and I'd have to talk to a thousand people before I'd get one vegan. And I was willing to do that. I was willing yes. to work that hard for that one vegan in a thousand conversations. And the, the odds are much better. It works. It's amazing. You go out there and you talk to a bunch of people and a couple of them are going to make a life-changing decision that affects the lives of those poor non-humans stuck in those cages and, and they're completely innocent in this situation. They shouldn't be there. They just shouldn't be there. And the only way to get them out of those cages is to not put them there in the first place by causing the demand for their products, for their, for their body parts, their milk and their eggs. And we have to stop it. We have to stop the violence and be vegan. Exactly, and it's it's so so simple, and I and I also tell people um, that um, I say you know there's a lot of things that we can't there's a lot of violence in the world that we that is so overwhelming that you can't really it's I don't know what to do about what's happening to the people in Darfur myself personally I mean I uh, there must be something I can do I must have some responsibility but. I, I don't quite know, but I certainly can control when I go down to the supermarket tomorrow what I buy. I can control when I choose to entertain myself, what am I going to do? I can control that. And, that's, and you can control and eliminate a huge amount of, of, of misery and violence from your own personal life. And it's liberating for, 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 for not just yourself, but for, but for all life around you. And I said, you know, it's a profound way of looking at, at, at the world that we, we claim to admire in so many others. Um, and yet, um, and then all of a sudden we say that we can't do it ourselves. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, um, you know, anybody, anybody, uh, anybody who wants to can do it. So I do challenge people. I do challenge them. I say, listen, do you? You're just standing here telling me that it bothers you. Well, how much does it bother you? Does it bother you enough to actually make any changes? Think about that, because you're the one responsible for that. I can't follow you home and monitor your every move. You know. You have to take the responsibility for your own actions. Um, and that's why I don't take responsibility when people don't go vegan and I don't take responsibility for when they do. I, exactly like yeah, you. I give, I give, I yeah. yeah, well, they made the choice. I give, I give like for you, like I, I, I very much value what you did. I say you changed my life, Renata. I say that to Gary. If I said you changed my life, and and the way that you did is you made yourself available. You gave the information and things like that. But I take responsibility for me making those changes, and I take responsibility for myself making the choice to go vegan. I don't I don't know if I could have done it without you guys because you were the only people who were talking about it. So where was I? I I didn't come up with it on my own. I wasn't one of those people. Like I heard somebody say that I can't remember who it was, but it was some. Somebody, I think it might have been Bruce Friedrich or somebody, um, who apparently was sitting around and, I mean, I don't know, I, I could be getting my facts wrong, but there was some, some sort of famous welfare advocate who's like, I was just eating a, a hamburger and then all of a sudden in that moment <laughs> I, I realized it was wrong and I just went vegan and I was like, wow, you know, I Dan, know. that didn't happen it's to me. You know, I, I had to, it's very you know, rare for someone to, to work out on their own. <laughs> Exactly. So that's why we have to, that's, you know, the world needs us. People need us. Uh, we need vegan education and vegan advocates to deliver that education in a peaceful, creative, nonviolent, friendly um, way. Honest. You know, yeah, and honest. Yeah, this, this happy yeah. meat stuff is just so dishonest. It's lying to people. It's saying that's that right. putting animals 
in nice cages and and feeding them nice music and playing them nice music and, and putting them on a nice truck and make sure that they get fed water before slaughter. You know, these what do these rules mean? They're just completely meaningless to the animals. The, if you change the rules to make um, anim, uh, animal farming so-called humane, there's still suffering. You don't end the suffering. You certainly don't end the killing. You certainly don't save any lives. The only way to save lives and eliminate suffering is to be vegan. There's no way around it. You could have, but you know, sometimes I'll, you know, if people really keep insisting, like, what about, you know, what, if, what about if we had a dairy farm and treated the animals humanely? I'm like, okay, all right, let's paint the picture of the perfect fantasy dairy farm. <laughs> and, and you go there and, and describe it. You still have to, you know, there's still going to be dehorning. You can't, you know, risk the farmers' lives of being hurt by those horns and, and they poke each other and you still have to take the calf away. They still have to do this and this and this and, and um, yeah, it, 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 there's no way of getting around it. And even if you could, even if, and then people say, oh, what about if I had my own farm? You know, Exactly. I, oh, I my gosh. healthy and I had my own farm and I had my own cows and, and I never killed them. I was like, okay, well, to, you know, supply all the milk that you need, you're going to have a paddock full of both female and male cows. And I've had a horse before, and a horse is very expensive. <laughs> they need vet care. They need shelter. They need food. And, and, you know, bales of hay and grain is very expensive. And I'm sure a cow would be the equivalent sort of expense as a horse. And um, you've got a paddock full of bulls. What are you going to do with them if you can't kill them? And all Right. I mean, because they're going to keep – that's what I say. I'm like, are you going to – you know, and I've had people say, well, I know someone who never, ever kills the cows, ever, ever, ever. And I'm like, so how many cows do they have now? How many years have they been doing this? There must be an awful lot of cows because they can live a long time yep. if they're not, you know, brutally milked and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, they never do. I, and I'm thinking, oh, okay. And then they let the calves stay with the mother. And... You know what? They're making it up. <laughs> <laughs> tell you another, tell you one thing I do, Ren, is like people will come up and they will be racking their brains, right? I know. And they'll I be do. like, what about, I you know, what, what about, about what... the calf, the calf? And I say, do you? You have a cow and a calf that you care for whose milk you take? Well, no. So where are you getting your milk? The supermarket. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about that. You know, that let's talk about what so you're true, doing. Elizabeth, because I get taken down the garden path with, <laughs> with that conversation and they go on and on about this fantasy farm. And, you you know, I, I think I'm going to use that, Elizabeth, because you have to get them focused because uh, take them back to the milk that they are consuming, not this fantasy farm that they'll, you know, they're never going to retire and buy 100 acres and have their own cows. They're not going to do that. And sometimes, sometimes you do come across people who do. They say, I have my own cows, I have my own chickens. And then sometimes... We will have that discussion about domestication and, and, and animals of property. We will have that discussion, but then I'll sort of go, okay, so does that mean that when you eat out that you don't that you eat vegan? Like when you go to a restaurant or someone else's house that you don't eat eggs or milk or meat unless it's from your own personal farm? And they go, oh, oh well, oh, yeah, well, okay, yeah, I, I eat that stuff when I go out. Well, 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 they come from those places, you know, those eggs at a restaurant. Um, come from all this, all you know, all this suffering and death that that's in in the farms and in the slaughterhouses. Um, and, and and does that mean that you're not going to eat a packet of biscuits from the supermarket because it hasn't been made from eggs from your own chickens from your own backyard? And they go, oh, you know, they hadn't thought about that before. When they think of eggs, they just think of you know eating an egg for breakfast. They don't think of the eggs in the in the biscuits in the pastries in. And 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 so and so yeah, that's one of my questions when they when they go on and on 
talking about this great detail of this fantasy farm or their own chickens that they have and say, oh, so does that mean that you don't eat any biscuits or cakes when you eat out or you don't eat eggs from other, when you visit someone else's house? Right. Well, that's another – I'm going to use that. Thank you very much, Rian. I'll tell you a story about a guy who came up and he was really, really like – he was furiously in denial. Um, he, he was from, I can't remember if it was from Germany or maybe it was um, Holland. And I said to him that what happens to the calves is they're all slaughtered. And he said, that's such a lie. He I, just was like, I don't, he was like, that is such total nonsense. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, are you serious? And he said, I don't believe you for a second. That is so ridiculous. What a, what a ridiculous thing. And he got very angry. And I said to him, I said, listen, um, he said to me, I just do not believe you. That is just so not true. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. And, and, and I said, give me your email. He said, he said, I, I, he said, I want facts and figures. I want your sources. I don't, you're just sitting here telling me stuff. Where's your proof? Like, where's your proof that you're just telling me? So I said to him, give me your email address and I'll email you. I'll look, I'll do some looking up. I spent like three hours on the internet trying to find a farm where the calves weren't taken away. I did. I tried my best. I found these like raw dairy farms in, in like Vermont where it's like three or four cows and it's like this raw milk it's called. And I tried, I busted my asked to try to find a farm where they didn't take the cows away and I uh, the calves and I was and I was looking I was trying to find him one because I wanted to send him one and say here's here's an example of one because I knew there'd still be some horror I knew that they'd still be slaughtered and things like that I couldn't even find that and I sent him all the links and I and I sent him everything that I found and I was like I tried to find an example of a dairy production where the calves were not taken away and slaughtered. I tried really hard and I couldn't find one, buddy. And I said, and you know what? The the millions of incredible intensive dairy farming that goes on, I mean, even just in New Zealand, this this like supposedly image that we have is is monumental and monstrous. So even if I found one farm yeah. in, in the corner of like New yeah. of North North Carolina where it was like <laughs> grandma, you know, and her and her granddad and they had their one cow Daisy that they'd had for like twenty years and Daisy had a calf and they kept Daisy that's really not and I couldn't even find that yeah and I tried and I tried so I even sort of because he got me nervous he was like that and I'm thinking oh am I telling lies to people am I lying to people I don't want to lie to people (laughs) Elizabeth I think that man came to Alice Springs and had the same conversation with me three weeks ago is he tall that's ever happened to me here i am doing efficacy and i'm going blah 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 this is what happens to dairy cows and he did the same thing he's like that does not happen that is a lie (laughs) (laughs) wow just thinking well what do you say to that (laughs) oh yeah it's like no i mean he got denial like they really they really don't want to believe that there's that suffering they well he he demanded believe it he demanded proof. He said, I, I am a person who, he, he, he said, listen, uh, you're just sitting here on the street. I don't know you. You don't, you don't have any, I said, here's a pamphlet. I had the BVA pamphlets at the time and such and such. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want, I want more facts. He said, this is, this is biased. This is a vegan society. He said, I want facts and figures. I was like, Google the FOA, the, the, um, you know, the United Nations Food and Agriculture. I said, I said to him, go and research for yourself. And he refused to do that. He said, no, you do it. You're the one telling me this stuff. That's why I had to, that's why I had to go home. Cause I said to him, I, I love telling people. Yeah, I, but I love telling people because the thing is, because we have done all our research most of the time, we do sort of, we know that it's true. I mean, there's no denying the truth about the animal 
to use. So I, I, I do not hesitate for a second to say to people, if you don't believe me, go and research it. Go and do it. Go and research it. And yes, there is a danger that they're going to find the vegetarian myth or some kind of nonsense like that. But, you know, if you're speaking to a reasonable person. So I said to him, if you don't believe me that they killed the calves of the cows, go and research it. And he literally said, no, that's your job. You're the one advocating this. You go and research it. I want the facts and the figures and I want the proof. And I did, and I, and, and Ren, I only searched, I only searched on industry and farming pages. Like, I didn't want to send him to, like, vegan Ve- society, vegan you know, nothing like that, nothing, because he was so adamant well, that that's where the information comes incorrect. from anyway, from those those vegan pages. They get their information from industry. Like, when I, oh, right. the, the facts that I talk about egg production, like, oh, it's, you know, chickens lay a very unnaturally high number of eggs. Um, they're only naturally laid 24. So many people dispute that. They say, well, my backyard chickens, they lay, lay an egg every day, and I'm like, Yes, that's because they've been domesticated. We've bred them to lay. I mean, what bird in nature? What do you see birds laying eggs all year round? It's very unnatural, and they refuse to believe it. Something. I mean, only some people. I mean, the conversation you're having with that guy, and I'm sure I have the. I think that guy flipped from New Zealand to Alice Springs because I met. But then him. he didn't. He didn't read my email. Then but, damn but, him! No, I put so much work into that email. I spent fight with me, and he in just. <laughs> Flat out refused to believe that dairy cows are taken from their mothers and killed. I mean, they they want to, you know, they really want to believe that these animals are happy and 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 that their babies are with their mothers. Like they, it's. But hopefully, you know, maybe that person will walk away and think about it. Maybe we can't tell. But I mean, those examples we're using—that's very rare for the most part. Oh yeah. I mean, we're you know we're picking the challenges here, but for the most part, you have. You know, ongoing, engaging conversations um, with lots of people, and people are interested in this. People care about animals; they really do. Yes, that's exactly right. Don't believe the hype. It's very, very positive and forward-moving. It's forward-moving. It's progress. Yeah, I see a lot of when I'm out in the street. I see the progress, and um, you know, when we don't get invited to talk about veganism on on uh, national television um, or on national radio, and if you do ever hear about them talking about veganism, it, it's the actual person who who is a vegan who's talking on a radio show will will get like two sentences and then the rest is talking about happy meat or or omnivores talking about uh, how much they love their meat or something like that so debates are really unfair and and uh, vegans never get a a full hearing you know on television shows and so we can't broadcast this education the only way we can broadcast it uh, is to go on the street take it to the street take it to the oh, the internet what a glorious invention. So here we we have all these resources at our fingertips. Um, you know, social movements 100 years ago was very difficult. In, and, and sometimes there'd be violence inflicted on, onto protesters to try and get votes for women and, and uh, rights and think, we don't have that. There's nobody. We're not, we don't have uh, threats of violence against us. We, we, you know, we have a respectful environment. Um, to go and take a stand um, and speak up for the animals. And so we should really take full advantage of that. We've got nothing to fear, so we should just go for it.